I have had the privilege to uh, to speak many, many times from this stage, but thinking about it today, I am probably more excited and more expectant than than I've ever been uh, before. And Chris has always said that when when you speak and there is a, uh, you've gone through so much prayer on the front end and a 24-hour prayer chain that you get up and you know that the Holy Spirit is working. And, and, and I'll tell you, and, and for that, that excites me. Brian, will you do me a favor and pull down these lights just a little bit? I'm sorry, I'm kind of like a pirate right now. Arr, you know. <laughs> I can't see anything out of the left. All right. So if I'm looking at you, I'm probably not really looking at you. And, um, you know, plans got changed yesterday at, at 2.30. And they were never perfect. Thank you. They were never how we anticipated it or how we uh, expected it to go. But just like this morning... If we are here for a particular speaker, then we're probably here for the wrong reason. This week and the weeks before, there has been hours and hours and hours and hours of prayer that have come down for for this evening and this morning, for today. And my challenge for each one of us is to take this opportunity to hear from God, to decipher what He is saying to us, and most importantly, to act on it. Because we can hear and we can, we can take and say, well, God's telling me to do this. We can feel conviction. And if we don't do anything about it, it's a waste of time, right? And so, so when, when Chris called me yesterday, in a, a, and I must say a slight panic, he uh, he said, Josh, we've got a problem. And, uh, and, and, and I've heard him say that many times, but I never expected him to say that the revival preacher just called in sick. And so I'm going to call William and say, I preached one-eyed, suck it up and be here next time. <laughs> and, uh, and so, and so he, he'll be all right. So, but, but after that, the, my next thought was, Ooh, I, what am I going to preach on? And, uh, and, and I'm driving down the road, and, and I can tell you exactly where I was on Highway 33, and, 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 and I feel like the Lord spoke to me, and very plainly, and I'd even talked to Chris about this this past week. Janelle has heard me for the last couple of weeks talking about this. For probably the last three weeks, I have felt like God has convicted me over and over and over about some things that we would seem like would be so simple but would burden me so bad. And, and, and just sin or just even a wrong thought, but it would just like, just wreck me. And, and, I've, and I even to the point, I was like, God, can you, can you lay off of me for just a little bit? Because I just kind of felt like I was walking through conviction. And when I hit that spot on Highway 33 and I was driving, I feel like God said very plainly to me, Josh, this is why I have been on your case for the last three weeks because you needed to be ready to be there on Sunday night. And, 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 and so I think I come in excited and expectant. 
and, 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 ex- and excited to see what the Lord's going to do. Uh, tonight, if you want to flip to the, the book of Philippians, we're in Philippians chapter 2. This is a passage that I've never preached before. And, and, and as I began, as I, I, after Chris called me, I went and dropped some stuff off at the house. And I said, well, I better go to my office because uh, that's where all my study stuff is. And the whole time I'm thinking, and one phrase kept coming up in my mind, and that is to, that is to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And, and, and this, this comes from Philippians chapter 2, but I've never preached this passage, and the verses that precede this are, 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 are powerful, and they are convicting, and, and I think it is where we need to be. I enjoy working with wood. I, do, I enjoy woodworking. I enjoy building stuff. And if you enjoy doing woodworking or working on anything, the one thing that you need in life is a shop. And, and so I call, I, I say that I have a shop. Let me be honest with you. I have an old garage that's attached to my house and I call it a shop. It's kind of like when you hear somebody say, oh, I'm going out to the deer lease. And then you find out that it's like three acres and you're like, you don't have a deer lease. You have like a glorified house pad. And, and, and call it. So, so for me, my shop is not really a shop, but I've been wanting to make it better. So I've been remodeling. And I think that, uh, that the, the whole key to remodeling is taking old stuff that is dilapidated, that is worn out, that is broken down, and replacing it with new stuff that makes it better fitting and more usable. And I think that this passage, what we're looking at in Philippians chapter 2, is just that. It's a remodel of our lives and, and, and something that we can take and, and, and move forward with. But it's only if we choose to listen to God and, and to move in that direction. We're going to start in verse 1. And in verse 1, and I'm sorry, I had to print my notes really big because I was looking at them on the computer and I couldn't, I couldn't read them. And um, in Philippians chapter 1, I mean chapter 2 verse 1, we're going to look at the first four verses. It says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort in love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord with one another, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. There's two big things. There's a, a ton of big things that are going on here. You could preach a sermon series out of these next, out of these, these 11 or 12 verses that we're going to look at. But I think for us tonight, there's, in this first four verses, there's two things that really stick out. There, it's an if-then statement. And Paul, when he begins talking about this, he says, if you are a believer, is, is a synopsis of what he's saying. If you are controlled by the Spirit, if you are controlled by love, if you have these things inside of you, then do this. And so my first question for you just to begin and for you to have something in the back here, I hope in the front of your mind, are you confident in your salvation tonight? Because I will tell you as a staff, as a group of church members, we have been praying very diligently that people would come face to face with their salvation and be able to answer that in an affirmative way non-wavering way when they walk out of these doors this morning and this evening. I have a feeling, and, 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 it was, and, it, and I thought about it all afternoon, 
Because I'm going to tell you that what Chris preached on today, this morning, struck home with me. It was powerful, I believe, that Chris spoke the exact words that God wanted him to speak. And I, and I feel like that there are people that are sitting in this room right now that are pondering the questions of this morning. Am I confident in my salvation? I feel like maybe there are people that have thought about that all afternoon. And, I'm, and, and maybe you were even hoping that that wouldn't be brought up when you came tonight. Well, I'm going to tell you it is. And, and it is something that you don't need to put off. But what Paul, Paul says here, he says, if you are confident in that, then complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord with one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Look at other people and place them, place yourself below them. Always be willing to let yourself be a servant in people's minds, in people's eyes, and in people's, people's lives. Are, do, are we living a life of servitude? Are we willing to step up to the plate and say, you know what, I'm not here about me. I'm here about other people. And you may say right immediately, yes, I'm, I, that's how I feel about myself. Well, here's a few ways that we can look at it and say, is this really how we are, that may be how we think in our mind, but is this how we're living it out? Are we the first person that starts an argument or, or somebody has an idea and you're the first person to combat that idea and say that you have a better idea and this is how we really need to do it? Do you look at people and say, well, these are, that's, is that, th- these are this group of people and I'm in a different class than these, than, than these people over here? Do, you, do, do we take a look and say, you know what, these people are not, are not kind of on, on my same level. And if we can find ourselves doing that, then we're not living out what these commands are. And I think that what we have to do is be able to live these commands first to be able to, 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 to get what Paul is fully saying here. I think the big time thing that goes in with this whole section of this passage is unity. I'm going to talk to the church for a second. For us as a church, if we are not unified, if we are not of one mind and one spirit, we are going to be nothing more than a building located at 200 South Trenton. And if we are not unified and seeking God together, in 30 years from now, we will be an empty building on 200 South Trenton that is being filled by something else. Now, I believe we've taken some great steps, and I think we're in a really good spot. But I'm telling you that the world that we live in is not getting any easier or any more tolerant to, to, to nominal Christians. Students that I deal with today, that I talk to at schools, are honestly, they're looking, and, and, I, and I've heard them say, my parents always drove it into me to, that I needed to be in church, I needed to be, but it didn't seem to affect their life much, so why am I going to waste my time with it? Are we going to be together as one church moving in one direction? And that is exactly where this is going. And I want to encourage us to do that. Are you a unifier or are you all about like breaking things up, messing, like getting and, and, and being divisive? We can't be divisive and be a Christian. In Matthew six fourteen and 15, it says this. 
For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others of their sins, your Father will not forgive you of your sins. I've got a question for you, and, and this is something that, 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 that hit home with me in a, uh, in a big way this week, this weekend. Do you have people in your life that you are holding a grudge against? That for whatever reason... You, you can't seem to forgive them, that when you think about them, you get angry, that when you think about them, you just, you just want to, you just, you just don't even want to see them because you know, you're scared of what you will say or what you really want to say. This verse is very plain, and, and, it's, and, it, and it's, if we're all about unity, and if Paul is screaming at us saying, we've got to be unified, if, if we're holding unforgiveness against people, we can't be unified. Is there somebody in this room right now that afterwards or at the invitation or this week that you need to go and sit down and apologize to because you have been holding some unforgiveness? Because the reality is we can't expect God to forgive us. And God says plainly, I won't if we are choosing not to forgive other people. That may hit home, and sometimes that hurts. This weekend, I was working Friday. I was working in my shop, and I needed to cut some boards loose and get some stuff cleaned up. And I was, I was cutting some, cutting some uh, boards off, and the saw was vibrating the boards above me. And if you've ever worked with wood, you know that there, you have to have like 10,000 pipe clamps and all these wood clamps, and they're all on a rack above my head. And I'm down on my knees, and, I, and I'm cutting, and the vibration, I even thought about it beforehand. I said, you know what? It would be good for me to probably pull these pipe clamps down before I cut the wood underneath them. But I was like, man, I'm in a hurry. Let me do it. And so I start cutting, and, and I hear like a slip. And you can hear a slip. And it's one of those like, oh, no kind of slips. And then all of a sudden, lights out. And all I could see was stars and a pipe clamp. And these things are 10, 15 pounds. I don't know. They're heavy. And it landed, and it landed right on the top of my head. And it dropped me. I mean, I was already bending down, and it dropped me to my knees. And, and all I thought about was, oh, my gosh, I'm an idiot. And is my head bleeding? And there's nobody here, and now I have a concussion and, and then I thought about it, well, a concussion might do me a little bit of good. And so I was like, you know, maybe it's okay. And then my next thought was this. We, at, right before Christmas time, we got on a Home Alone kick at our house. How many people have ever seen Home Alone? All right, so you got Kevin McAllister who gets left by his parents. And, and when they go on Christmas vacation, which is totally something like I would fear that me and Janelle might would do, and Addie just kind of hanging out the house, and, and we're on our way. And Kevin is protecting his house now against a band of robbers, and they're not the brightest bunch in the world, but they, uh, they're called the Wet Bandits. And, um, and so this one guy keeps coming up, and every time he looks up at a window, Kevin takes and pushes a weight, or he'll push a paint can, or he'll do something, and he just keeps getting and pounded in the face and on the head until his face is all swollen. And I thought about that and I said, I feel kind of like that guy. And then I was like, I've got to get back to cutting. And so I bend down and I start cutting again. And, 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 I, and, and it never dawns on me, hey, idiot, let's pull the pipe clamps down. And I heard a slip. And the next thing I know, Lights out. 
the only problem was it was a little bit heavier than the one before, and it hit me in the exact same spot as the first one. You could see it all weekend. My hair would stick up right there, and, and, and I could see Tweety Bird. I mean, it was horrible, and then I was like, okay, I'm fixing to pull the pipe clamps down, and then I will finish this. And, 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 and I was the guy on Home Alone. But you know, this weekend I was thinking about it because, one, I could feel it. And, and I think sometimes that's us with God. I think sometimes God sits there and says, Josh, I want you to live life like this. I want you to be this type of person. And I say, okay, God, okay, God. And I don't do it. And then I have a clamp dropped on my head. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I needed to live like God was telling me to do. And then I go right back and do it again. And then I get another clamp dropped on my head. And my question is, how many clamps do we have to have dropped on our head before we start living and doing what God is telling us to do? There's no doubt in my mind that in this church that God wants to use us to reach Ruston in this area. But the only way that we're going to do that is if we listen to him and we're unified. Verse 5. It said, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Bible scholars... Many Bible scholars agree or say that this, these few verses is the greatest Christology in the New Testament. And that would be the, 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 the synopsis of who Christ really was. The greatest, the greatest synopsis of who Christ is. And, and we, see, we see Christ who was on level with God that took himself and moved, him out, moved himself out of that position to come to earth in order that he may live not only as one of us but as a servant to man and then to go on to face death and death on a cross so that we might be forgiven. And when I look at that, I say, how can we not be fully devoted and fully committed to being submissive to that type of person? Because I'll tell you that there's, there's not another person on the face of the earth that would be that type of person for us. Are we willing to be submissive and to live that out? You know, there, there are, I think there are two reasons why people don't see God work in their lives. I think the first group of people is the group of people that simply will not choose to give their lives to Christ. And I think maybe one of the reasons, maybe they just say, I don't believe. But I think, that, I think that there's a certain sense of there's a control freak in some of us. I think there's a control freak in all of us. But and I think some people are, are, are so want to be in control that the thought of turning your life over to somebody else, you, they can't handle it. Because there are so many things that they know that it would change in their life if they were really committed to living for Christ. And what ends up happening to that control freak, they are in control of everything that they want to be in control of when they're on this earth. But I'm telling you, the day they take their last breath, all control is gone. 
And for us in this room, I beg you to not be that type of person. I beg you to not leave this room saying, I want to be in control. I think the other group of people that, that have trouble seeing God is a, is a group of people that maybe have given their lives to Christ, but have never seen God really work in their lives because they're they, what, I, what people, somebody has called a buffet Christian. They, they look at a buffet of everything that God says that, that, that he wants our lives to look like. And they walk down the buffet and they say, okay, this worship, I really like worship. So I'm going to take this. And then, hey, I really like meeting with a small group. So I'm going to take this. But having a pure mind, I just really don't want to give up looking at what I'm looking at on the computer. So I'm going to leave that. Being an honest person, dealing with money properly, dealing with businesses properly, I don't really want to do with that because it's going to change my lifestyle. It's going to change who I am. And you go down through the line, picking and choosing what you want to do. And if we do that, we will never experience God the way that God desires for him to be experienced. And we will never see that play out in our lives. Francis Chan Christian pastor, I was reading a quote of his a couple of weeks ago, and this is what he said. He said, and, I, and I'm, I'm summarizing it, but he, but he said, you know, God talks to us and tells us plainly, we need to step up and do this. And the more times that we say, God, I don't want to do that, or we push him to the side, his voice becomes quieter and quieter and quieter until we don't hear from God anymore. When is the last time you heard from God and why, would, why, why, why has it been that long? Are you hearing from God daily? Or have you stifled God to where you're not hearing from him? Let's take some steps to get back to where God wants us to be. Wrapping this up. Let's skip down to verse 12. I'm sorry. I wanna, let's go to verse 10. I'm sorry, Brian. Therefore, God has exalted him and bestowed upon him the name above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to, the, uh, to God the Father. One thing that I think needs to be brought out is that no matter what, whether it's here in this place tonight, or when we take our last breath, every person that is in this building that is in this world, that has lived, is living, or will live, is going to look at Jesus and say, you are Lord. Because when we come face to face with the creator of the world, we will know without a doubt in our minds that he is Lord. The problem is, if we choose to be, to push back from God here on this earth, it determines our eternity forever. Don't be that person that pushes back from God today because one day you will know that he is Lord. And the last verse is in verse 12. It says, Therefore, my, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. 
This is not, this, 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 Paul is laying this out that our salvation, our life with God is an ongoing process. It never stops. It never, it never quits. It is, it is, it it should always be growing. I don't know if you've ever built a house, you built your own house, like had a house built or remodeled a house. But when Janelle and I got married, we lived in an apartment for a couple of years, and, and then we bought a house, and, and it was stripped down to the studs, and, and it had subfloor, and, and that, if you need a good test for your marriage, do that together, and, uh, and put that house together, because there were, there were a lot of nights that I was like, we'll get this house, but you may not be living here with me. <laughs> really, it was the other way around, and... Uh, but it's a process. And the whole time when we were working on the house, I was thinking about the fact that one day we'll just be able to live in this house and not work on this house and just enjoy it. And I'm going to tell you that it came a point in time that we said, this is good. We've got the house where we want it. And for the last several years, I call it just living on the couch. We just enjoyed our house. And I didn't really do anything. If something major broke, I'd fix it. But I really didn't do anything else with it but just simply enjoy it and just kind of sit in it. And when I started working on my garage, it made me start kind of thinking and looking at other parts of my house. Because I realized how much work had to be done in my garage. And one thing that I noticed was as I walked around, I saw one wall and I saw mildew all over the bottom. And I was like, man, I've never noticed that before. I walked around the other side and I saw paint peeling off the house. And I was like, man, I've got to paint the house. I walked onto the back of the deck and I, I, I felt a rail board and my, and my finger went through the rail of my deck because was, there was a board that was rotten. I looked up at the eave and there was a board that was rotten on the top that the paint was gone. And what I came to realize is in my desire just to simply live and to just simply be in my house, my house has started crumbling around me. Because I did not do anything to keep it going, to keep it, to keep it, to keep it healthy, to maintain it, to make it better. My fear is that there are a ton of people in church all across the world that have given their lives to Christ and that moment they said, good, it is, it's done. I've given my life to Christ and they've never taken any more steps since then and they just wanted to simply sit in church and just be. They just wanted to simply say, I'm just going to enjoy being a Christian and they haven't grown in Christ. And what happens when we do that, if we are not, I've heard Chris say this so many times, if we're not moving forward with Christ, we're rapidly moving backwards. My question for you is, are you growing in Christ right now? A good way to look at that, is there another point in your your life that you can look back and say that that was your heyday? You know, I used to teach Sunday school. I used to be involved in, in, in outreach ministry. I used, to, I used to really be a lot more evangelistic than I am now. And let me be honest with you, if you can answer yes to any of those questions, then you're not in the spot where God wants you to be. So my, so, so my other question is, what are you going to do about it? Are we just going to keep sitting and, and, and just sitting and being comfortable where we are? Or are we going to step forward and we're going to do something 
about it? Are we going to work out our salvation with fear and trembling? My, my fear is that so many times we work out our salvation with comfort and ease. And God doesn't call us for comfort and ease. He calls us to push hard and to push forward. I'm going to be honest. A lot, a lot of times when you have a revival pastor, they, they can say whatever they want to say. And then, you know, you might get upset with what they say. And then they're on a plane the next day and you don't see them again unless your pastor invites them back. All right? And I, I don't have that luxury. But I do want to be... This has been a burden of mine all day long. This morning, as we sat in church, I knew without a doubt in my mind that the Spirit of God was working in this place. I knew that God was talking to people, confronting people where they are, giving them steps that they need to take, convicting them about their salvation. And yet when... The invitation came. I felt like we sat like stone statues. God called us to be unified. He called us to be encouraging to one another. He called us to be real. And the day that we let pride dictate our moves with God is the day that we've completely got everything messed up. I'm not trying to pull strings to get you to do something so that I feel good about myself. I've been, I've been, I, I talked to Chris, I've been burdened by this today. And I don't think this is just our church. I think it's churches across the nation, across the world. When are we as a church going to get out of our comfort zone and not worry about what somebody across the room is saying about us if we come fall on our face before God to get things straight, knowing that somebody is going to come up and put their arms around us and pray with us and hold us accountable and encourage us? When are we going to be the type of church that somebody comes up and gives their lives to Christ and people come down the aisles and just bear hug them because they are excited that they made that decision? When are we going to be the church that when we walk out of here on Sunday morning, we're not thinking about, hey, we'll do this again next week. We're thinking about what our mission is for this week and who we're going to go sit down at their house and talk to about Christ, who we're going to love that nobody else is loving. Because, guys, I'm going to be honest with you. That's what revival is. Revival is not a one-day event or an event that is marked on a calendar. Revival is when a group of God's people come together like-minded in the same spirit and get ready to move forward and start taking, taking, taking names and, start, and start, reaching out to, start reaching out and being God's hands in this mission field that we live in every single day. So my question for you is, what are you going to do about it tonight? Are we going to be stone statues? Or are we going to surrender to God, whether that be through salvation or just saying, I need to come lay before God and get things right and start fresh with God tonight? Will you pray with me? I, f- I feel like, just like I said, that there are people in here that need to give their lives to Christ. I feel like that's been bothering you for a while. 
I feel like you knew it this morning. I feel like you knew it all afternoon. Are you going to let pride keep you in your seat? Or are you going to do something about it? If you are ready to give your life to Christ, salvation is admitting that we're a sinner and repenting and saying, I'm, st- I'm turning 180 degrees and starting fresh. Believing that Christ died on the cross for us and saying, you know what, God, I want to live completely 100% under your leadership. If that's you in this room, whether you've sat in this church for 50 years or this is your first time to darken the door, I want to give you that opportunity to pray with me. God, I admit to you that I'm a sinner. God, I believe that Christ died on the cross for me to save me of my sins. And God, I, I want to repent and turn from my sins right now. God, I want to commit my life to living for you 100%. Save me today. God, there, I feel like there are people that gave their lives to you just now. God, I feel like there are people that just need to do business with you whether it be at their seat or, 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 or grabbing someone and just coming and kneeling at the altar. God, I just pray that we're not a group of stone statues, but that we are open and, and, and willing to meet with you. God, I pray that pride will fly out the door right now and that we can meet with you. In your name I pray. Amen. Let's stand together. You respond how you